Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. This is Pint Glass Football. We talk NFL and college football. I'm your host, Brad Fowler, and McKenzie Brewing is the official beer of Pint Glass Football. Follow them at McKenzie Brewing. Follow us at pintglassfootball.com. If you're new to the show, hit that subscribe button. What's up, PGF Nation? We are back with another great show today. Are the Dolphins contenders or pretenders? We'll give our thoughts on NFL Week 4, make our picks for the NFL MVP at the quarter mark of the season. I'll tell you the pros and cons of each remaining undefeated team in the college football top 25 and a lot more, but joining me to break it all down, my co-host, Alex Higdon. Alex, what is going on? Hey, Brad. Did a lot of traveling this weekend, or actually the past two weeks, but still had a chance to lock in on a bunch of football. Let's get right to it. The season just keeps getting better. A lot to get to, like you said. Can't wait to jump into it. I want to start with the Twitter poll question of the week. At PGF Podcast, as you guys know on Twitter, If you're not already, give us a follow at PGF Podcast on Twitter. The Twitter poll question this week was, are the Dolphins a contender or pretender? 78% of you guys said contender. 22% said pretender. Before we jump into this, Alex, are you surprised at all by the votes here from PGF Nation? 78%, even after a blowout loss to the Bills, are saying Miami is still a legit contender. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I don't know if they're an offense, they're number one. However, they are flailing a little bit from the def- on the defensive end, and you're going to need to play some defensive from defense in order to do anything. Now, I had high hopes for Miami bringing over Vic Fangio, thinking that he was going to be able to write that defense, but this defense can't be that bad simply because Jalen Ramsey is missing because they did basically bring everyone back. So right now, currently they are 26th in defense and they're behind, they're behind Cincinnati and they're behind teams like Minnesota who has no defense. So until they write that ship on the defensive end, I would have to call them pretenders. Alex, I'm with you. I'm actually shocked that almost 80% of the vote said they're still contender after this game against the Bills. And it's exactly for what you said, because I think the Dolphins got exposed in this game. Now, are they a really good team? Yes. But there was nothing fluky about this win by the Bills. They dominated on both sides of the ball. They showed us that their offense can be just as dangerous as Miami's. But like you said, the real difference here is Buffalo has a legit defense, and it looks even better since Sean McDermott took over the play calling. I mean, this defense is really playing some high-level football. They had an ugly week one loss to the Jets, but really since then, this team has been dialed in. Josh Allen is playing lights out, and they found a running game outside of Allen. I think the defense playing like they are with Josh Allen now playing like he is, the running game starting to come together, they look like the best team in the AFC right now. Alex, is it time to hit the panic button for the Bengals? Yes, though we, I believe we both had them winning the division at 1-3. One and three. One thing I said about Tennessee coming in is they may not make the playoffs, but they're going to fight because they have the mentality and character of their head coach. And plus, you have three major players being the coach, the quarterback, and the running back going into the final years of deals. So they're looking for jobs going into next season. And this has always been a scrappy team since Vrabel's taken over. But it's a it's a fight in a phone booth whenever you play them. But they simply got dominated. They were out physical by the Titans, and it is definitely time to panic. I feel that management has mismanaged the entire Joe Burrow thing. This guy has gone three years since he's been in the league, four years now, without a preseason nor without an, a camp. This was a time to rest him and have him sit out at, at minimum two games and have you know an extended rest from training camp on through preseason on into the regular season and bring him back around week three. But now you're in a position where 
even if he feels he needs to rest, you can't because at one and three, now you're in the abyss because now the percentages drop when you were one when you were one and two, that was fine because that's you've bounced on from back from that before. But now, and that was 27% of teams make it. Now I believe you're in the 10% range of teams that make it. Coming up, you do have it looks like you have a gimme game, but Arizona's been scrappy. And then you get Seattle. And then you have a bye, but you come back coming out of the bye, you get San Francisco, Buffalo, Houston, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Jacksonville. And even if you want to go for the Indianapolis, all teams that are playing very well, they may not have winning records, but that those are tough, tough games. I, I don't know what you do right now if you're Cincinnati because you've now extended Joe Burrow too long in terms of playing him. You can't sit him. You're just going to have to bite the bullet this season and not make the playoffs end up with a high draft pick and get a defender, a linebacker or something and come back next year. Let's stick with the AFC North, Alex, because I completely agree with everything you just said about the Bengals. It's absolutely spot on, and they're in serious trouble. Is it time to hit the panic button for the Steelers? Well, as long as you have that defense, you don't have to hit the panic button. But what we should be hitting the panic button on is that offensive coordinator that should have been let go as of last year. This is the same thing that Baltimore did with Greg Roman. They held on to him a year too long trying to maintain and keep something that actually was never there for the Steelers. Since he's been an offensive coordinator, they have not had a 400-yard game in terms of total offense. So they've never had an explosion on offense to show what this team can do. The running game doesn't look better. Kenny Pickett doesn't look better, even though I don't think he is a guy that he's, to me, really set up to be a long-term backup. I don't believe he's he would be a starter in this league. He was overdrafted in a bad quarterback draft in the first place. However, I don't think he's this bad. I think a lot of this has to do with Matt Canada not helping and putting him in the right position. But if you're the Steelers, the fact that the Bengals are down and nobody specifically in the division looks dominant, and you have Mike Tomlin, and you have that defense, and Mike Tomlin we've seen as a coach that wills his teams to win, they're actually sitting in an okay position to still be in the playoff hunt and actually still be in the division hunt. Alex, you're right about this team because the offense is garbage. and That's the bottom line. This is one of the worst offenses in the entire league, and it starts with Matt Canada. Mike Tomlin needs to rip the Band-Aid off. He's not doing this team any favors, keeping him around. And they have too many playmakers to be this bad. It's not like they don't have the weapons. The offensive line still isn't very good. I get that. It's a work in progress. But for some reason, Tomlin is continuing to be loyal to this offense coordinator, and I just don't get it. It's still early enough in the season that you can shift gears and maybe give this team a spark and get them moving in the right direction. Now, Najee Harris... He needs to come off the bench. Look, I know you took him in the first round and you thought he was going to be your bell cow running back. He just isn't that guy. He's not a terrible running back, but he's just not the player you thought you were getting. And quite frankly, Warren, the undrafted free agent running back, he should be starting right now. He's the more decisive, more explosive running back. He's a better pass catcher out of the backfield. And it gives Kenny Pickett somewhere to go with the ball when he's under pressure They've got to make changes. It starts with the offense coordinator, and I think it starts with the running back position. Now, the defense, they've been a little bit spotty because we know it's a good defense, but this defense got shredded by the Texans this week. They have two close wins and two blowout losses. I'm just not sure how good this Steelers team actually is. But to your point, Alex, I think there's still time to maybe right the ship here They've just got to make changes and they've got to do it quickly. Now, I want to shift to the Texans real quick because, Alex, I absolutely love what I've seen from C.J. Stroud. We talked about it briefly last week, but he looks great. He's accurate. He's poised in the pocket. He's He's got great touch. He puts the football in the right place. He's putting this team in a position to win games right now. He has thrown for the second most yards by a rookie through his first four games in NFL history. It's really incredible what he's doing right now, and it's really changing things. And D'Amico Ryans deserves a ton of credit because he's doing a great job right now. He looks like a home run hire early in the year so far. This team looks a little bit better every week. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a narrative and everyone's has heard it several times that I have on Ohio State quarterbacks. And I and I and I'll speak to it a lot more later on in the show on what I have to say. But I agree with you, Brad. C.J. Stroud is really looking like he should have been the number one pick. But I guess there's a lot of context around what's going on in Carolina. But C.J. Stroud on this Houston team that nobody thought much of outside of they don't have any real true offensive weapons outside of Damian Pierce. But here comes Nico Collins out of nowhere. And he's a player. And I mean, he wasn't just a player. He was looking like a full-on athlete out there with the run after the catch, breaking tackles for touchdowns. So they seem to have found... They have their running back in Damian Pierce. They have their quarterback it looked, uh, Pierce so far through four games in C.J. Stroud. And it looks like they have a guy at receiver in Nico Collins. So now they have to do is just continue to build around them. Is it time to hit the panic button for the Patriots? This is a tough one. So though I did, I am a person that took the Patriots to win the AFC East. The reason I'm not going to say it's time to panic at one in three it's simply because this is the first game that they have not been in, where they've just completely been obliterated. The Cowboys just straight manhandled them. Mac Jones is cannot he is not a truck. He is a trailer. And for all of these games, they have been asking for him to carry the team. And that's simply not what he does. And the Patriots, Ever since we've known them, they may not have a specific running back, but they have always had a running game through four games, 76 yards, 88 yards, 157, the one game they did win against a great New York Jets defense, and then 53 against the Cowboys. It's the same thing I've been saying for the past two pods. They are not running the ball to give Mac, to maximize Mac Jones. If you're expecting him to carry you, that's not what he does. He was the most quarterback ready coming in the draft, but he also had the lowest ceiling for a reason. He is not a guy. He is a guy that you're going to have to carry, and then he can make plays in between. Patriots need to get this running game going, or else this is going to go off the rails quick. But if you're telling me all they're going to do is need to fix the running game, I'm going to trust that Bill Belichick can fix that running game, and they can get back on track, maybe not win the division, but they'll be a competitive team at 89 and 98 by the end of the season. I'll be honest, Alex. I don't know if I'm as confident. I, I think there's some underlying issues with this team. And here's something that I never thought I would say about a Belichick team. The Patriots were uninspired, undisciplined, and unprepared in this ball game. Plus, when it comes to Mac Jones, I think it's time to punt on this guy. He's a limited player. Like you said, he has a low ceiling but it looks like he's regressed. And I agree with you on the fact that they need to help him out and they need to have a running game to help support him. I think you're 100% right there. But this guy is not taking care of the football. And now there's reports that are coming out that he's been an issue in the locker room as well. So I'm starting to really question not just the player, but the character issues here. I thought Bill O'Brien was going to come in and really fix this offense. I don't know if they have the quarterback or the playmakers to really be competitive, especially in this division, because right now this division looks really, really tough. We've seen how good the Bills are playing. Miami is an, is an offensive juggernaut, and that Jets defense, even though they don't have the quarterback anymore, that defense is going to keep them competitive throughout the year. I think this is the type of loss that is more than a loss. This team is terrible right now, and I just don't think there's any way they're going to be able to compete at a high enough level the rest of the year. Now, the defense, which might have been the saving grace for this team, they just lost Matthew Judon and Christian Gonzalez to injuries. So, arguably, your two best defenders are now out. It feels like it's starting to really fall apart in New England. Alex, <laughs> I laugh because it's time for our weekly Brandon Staley segment. It just seems to happen every single week we've got to bring this guy up. And believe me, it's not on purpose. It's just every week he's, do he's doing something that has me saying, my goodness, what are we watching here? Asante Samuel, at the end of that game, intercepts the ball, and apparently Brandon Staley was telling him to get down, get down. Now, look, if there had been 30 seconds or a minute in the game, I get it. But there was two minutes and 38 seconds left in the game. And when he picked off that pass, he only had Aiden O'Connell to beat going down the sideline. So I think there's a pretty good percentage chance that he could have taken it all the way back. At the very least, we know he could have gotten to at least midfield. 
So I don't understand Brandon Staley's thinking here. Once again, telling his player to get down in that situation, it's just bad coaching because now you're deep in your own territory. They run the ball. The Raiders call timeout. So they have to get a first down, and Justin Herbert bails out Staley with a beautiful deep ball down the sideline. Quite frankly, Justin Herbert is bailing out Staley again late in games with absolutely terrible coaching decisions. It's just the same story every week, Alex. Charge of ownership, what are you doing? What, what are we doing? You believe Justin Herbert is a guy, you gave him the contract. You know these windows close, and they close fast, especially when those contracts kick in. What are you doing? Get this gentleman out of there. Maybe he needs to go be a defensive coordinator solely and focus on that because even his defense isn't good. And, and now, again, this is my Raiders, but, you know, but again, he got bailed out just like he got bailed out last week by Kevin O'Connell in their play calling. He also got bailed out by the Raiders in this play calling. However, to Brad's point, if we go back to that fourth and one, okay, fourth and one at your own 34. I mean, I, that part I don't understand. It's not like the Raiders were lighting up the scoreboard, and it's a rookie quarterback. But if I'm not mis- if I'm not mistaken, Khalil Mack had eight sacks in this game, or something to the point of like, what do we? What do you need to see that your defense isn't telling you? Like, give us a chance to shut this down. What What are you doing that you don't just kick the you know kick the punt and let your defense do what they need to do? But instead, you go for it on the Raiders side of the ball and give that rookie quarterback a shot to you know. Maybe you have some type of comeback win. On the other side of that, you know, for the Raiders, Aiden O'Connell, his first start, a lot of us Raider fans were looking for him to start. He did look good in the preseason. I had him pegged as a Brock Purdy, quote-unquote, type quarterback coming into this draft. He did look good. He was go- he held on to the ball too long. But when he was holding on the ball to, he was looking at three to four progressions each time when he got sacked and had a bad fumble. That means you just need to speed up the clock in your head, and that's fine. You can fix those things by getting more reps and getting more game time. However, Josh McDaniels, after Brandon Staley's idiotic call on the one on to go for it on fourth and one with Justin Herbert at that, who, and what, if I'm not mistaken, Justin Herbert had a broken finger or a, a cut finger or something, but that was his choice to do. I have no clue why. But on a fourth on, on the fourth and ten, the Raiders make a Inokala makes a great pass to Devontae Adams at the 19 yard for 19 yards to get into the red zone at the three yard line of the Chargers. They decide to run and cut off half the field by rolling him out to one side of the field to throw the ball, which was stupid, With at the three-yard line, when you simply could have just, hey, you know what, let's give it to Josh Jacobs and see if he can just bang this one in and give this kid a shot or give this kid a tie. But instead, you bail him out, he throws an interception, and there's nothing to be said about it. I mean, you know, both coaches, both silly calls, one with Josh McDaniels and the type of call he called in the red zone, and then Brandon Staley continuously playing Madden out there, Tech Mobile at this point, Tech Mobile out there at this point with this team. And this is a team that probably should be in a position to go to the playoffs with all the talent that they have. But because of coaching, regardless of how we feel about anything else, but because of coaching, gonna I don't think they're going to make it simply because, and if they do make it, it's because they backed into some type of playoff spot. He's trying to lose every single game. Yeah, I couldn't have I couldn't have put it better, Alex. You're absolutely right because this team is absolutely a playoff level team, but here they are with an average record because he is pulling them down every week. And yeah, they've had a couple wins in the last couple weeks, but we know it's not because of him. It's mostly because of his quarterback and the defense making a huge play late in games to bail him out. After what we saw last Thursday, we might have been a year early on the Packers winning the division. And I know we both really like this team, and and I still like what I've seen from Green Bay. But the Lions are starting to look like a team that could actually make some noise in the NFC. The Lions upgraded this roster this offseason, and all the moves they made seem to be working right now. Now, the 49ers and the Eagles, I think, are clearly Tier 1 in the NFC right now. But Tier 2 is starting to look like Dallas and Detroit. Now, I want to get your thoughts here because... I'm not ready to give up on the Packers by any means, but Detroit just looks like they're ready to win right now. Green Bay still might be a year away. I'm actually still steady in my thought process on Green Bay still winning the division. Their defense was piss poor. Specifically, the run defense was piss poor. They got run all over for over 211 yards at five yards a clip and three touchdowns. So they just basically got bullied by 
And we said at the beginning of the season that the Lions have a top three offensive line. So their offensive line simply bullied the Packers' defensive line. Jordan Jordan Love did struggle with the two interceptions and two turnovers. But again, a quarterback that is a game manager right now with no run. They ran for they ran for 27 yards at 2.3 yards a clip and one touchdown. And the one touchdown was scored by Jordan Love. Aaron Jones was 5 for 18. A.J. Dillon was 5 for 11. And if I'm not mistaken, they're still, they were missing three starters. I think Zach Tom, Elgerton Jenkins, as well as Bakhtiari were out as well. So, and this was also Christian Watson's first game. So I think as they start to get healthy, hopefully, and they get some of that starting, and I don't know about Bakhtiari because he's been injured probably the last three seasons a lot. But if you're telling me you're going to get the other two guys back, Aaron Jones is going to get healthy. Christian Watson is going to come into form. I can see a late push by the Packers to be in the hunt because I don't think anybody's going to win this division with more than 10, nine to ten games, to be honest with you. So they're sitting at 2-2. Two and two. The Detroit Lions are 3-1. and one. They're only one game back of where Detroit is. One of the things I noticed about Jordan Love, there's a Luke Musgrave scene pass that's open every single game, and he cannot hit it. And this, I'm not even saying this is during the season. This goes back to preseason. He simply cannot hit Luke Musgrave up the seam. This play has been open at least twice every single game, and he continuously sails it over his head, or it's inaccurate in some way, shape, or form because he's ended up, his form is not right. He's not standing flat-footed and delivering a strike. He's off his back foot. He's only hit it once. And the other seven times, he's missed it badly. He's got to get in and he's got to practice hitting Luke Musgrave up that scene because that play is there. Now, on the flip side of that, one of the things I want to ask you about, Brad, if you're the Lions, you drafted Jameer Gibbs. Nobody expected you to draft him at 12. He wasn't one of the premier backs per se. You know, it wasn't that big of a difference between him and Zach Charbonnet for the most part. But Jameer Gibbs was talked about. You grabbed him at 12. This was basically, this game was, I don't want to say a blowout, but you were comfortably ahead in this blow. But when we got to the fourth quarter, I consistently saw them continuously run David Montgomery. And Jameer Gibbs did not get any snaps. And I don't understand. You drafted this guy at 12, which I think we both thought was a mistake because perhaps you could have used a Christian Gonzalez in your back in defensive backfield to help out the defense. But you got Jameer Gibbs, but you're the bell cow is David Montgomery. So something's not right with what I'm seeing in the Lions in terms of their draft pick if we're just specifically talking about uh, Jameer Gibbs. Yeah, Alex, and we talked about Jameer Gibbs. Explosive player, talented player. I thought he was more of a late first round type of talent, early second round type of talent. So yeah, it felt like a huge reach, and I'm with you. And the fact that they aren't using him in that spot was a great point by you because why draft him at 12 if he's not going to be a difference maker? We look at the other running back that went early in this draft, Bijan Robinson. He's getting a big-time workload in Atlanta. He's clearly been a focal point of that offense. If you're going to draft a guy that early, why wouldn't he be a focal point? And I think part of it is exactly what we talked about when we were looking at his tape during the draft process. And we both said the reason we had him at number three on our running back board was because he didn't look like a three-down back. And I'm wondering if Detroit is actually starting to sense that as well, that he's more of a situational, rotational back and a talented one, but you don't take a rotational back at number 12. Will the LA Rams make the playoffs? Because right now, they're one of the biggest surprise teams in the NFL. They're playing some really good football. They did blow a 20-point lead versus the Colts, but the Rams have shown so far that they can compete with good teams. They beat the Seahawks and played the 49ers close in week two. So this is a team that's really been competitive and playing, quite frankly, better than almost anybody could have imagined going into the year. Now with Matt Stafford healthy, Puka Nakua coming out of nowhere, playing at an incredible level. And with Cooper Cup returning here soon, this offense looks good. And they've been tough on the defensive side of the ball as well. What are your thoughts on the Rams so far? I mean, surprising. Competitive in every single game. As you said, I call him Pikachu, but Puka Nakua out here looking like we don't even know that Cooper Cup is not on the team, but performing at a high level. I mean, that was him that caught that ball to end the game as well. And it was his first touchdown of the year. And for everything that the Rams are doing, I want everybody to keep in mind, Matt Stafford has only thrown three touchdowns. 
So they've played four games. He's only thrown three touchdowns and five interceptions. So this is an all-around team effort on defense and offense, the reason that they're so competitive and that they're winning games and that they're sitting at two and two. I think by their bye in week 10, we're going to know exactly who the Rams are and if they're still going to be in contention or not because those are four losable games. And let's just say if we want to give them the Arizona win, they could be one and four going into that bye week which will put them at three and six. And maybe we have a difference. We're telling a different, saying that having a different tune by week 10. But as of right now, kudos to Sean McVay, kudos to that offense, kudos to that defense, because they are putting everything together and remaining competitive. And that's what you want to see at minimum from your team. Yeah, side note here, because you brought up Arizona, and I'm glad you did, because this team has also been really surprising because they've been really competitive. They're a feisty team that really plays hard every week, and they've surprised a lot of people with how well they've played early in the year when everyone, myself included, pretty much had them pegged as the worst team in the NFL. I've got to give a lot of credit to Jonathan Gannon, and it got me thinking here. Jonathan Gannon taking over at Arizona, coming over from Philadelphia, Shane Steichen going to Indy, the other coordinator that the Eagles lost from that Super Bowl run last year. These two guys are really doing a great job for the Colts and for the Cardinals. I I think both these coaches, the early results are showing that these look like two really good hires. They've got both these teams playing hard, playing competitive football. I like what I've seen from these two young coaches. And we get to see, and as we saw recently, we saw that Jonathan Taylor now wants to play, and he's shown up at practice to try and put the pads on, so it's going to get even more interesting as the season matriculates. That's a team that is going to definitely be something to watch here in the next few weeks, see if they can stay in contention here in the AFC South. Now, last week, we had the battle of the two worst teams in the NFL, and it's now official. The Bears are the worst team in the NFL. Matt Eberflus is toast. I mean, th- this guy's done. Let's face it. He is a dead man walking. They blew a 21-point lead to the winless Denver Broncos, who have looked equally as bad. A lot of different directions, a lot of different takes we could go here. But what are, what are your thoughts on this game and more big picture thoughts on these two franchises right now? I know we kind of dived into it last week, but I think this game was very telling and we saw some horrendous coaching late in this game by Matt Eberflus as well. Yeah, I mean, Matt Eberflus, everything that's gone on, you have that issue with your defensive coordinator had to resign. Justin Fields come out with the comments that he had. At one point during this game, Justin Fields was 24 for 24 and ended the game at 28 for 35 for 335 yards and four TDs and one interception. I went and I looked back. That is literally the greatest game by an Ohio State quarterback ever in history. That game right there by Justin Fields. To my Ohio State narrative that I continue to push, that is the (laughs) best game by an Ohio State quarterback. Now, Matt Eberflus, after everything you've gone through for the last week and a half, again, from the from management to the coaches to Justin Fields, this kid, Justin Fields, and I'm actually going to shoot him some bail here, he needed this win, and you bumbled it. This could have been a confidence booster for this team, could have been a confidence booster for, for, for Justin, a confidence booster for front office in you. And I believe you bumbled it away. And Brad, you said it right. You're, you will not be coaching this team next year, whether Justin Fields is the starter or not. You simply will not be the coach. And another note on the offense, Chase Claypool was a healthy scratch. He did not play. So this does not bode well for him on this team with all the talent that he has. And Brad, you were on this early. You said the Steelers are a team that develops two things linebackers and wide receivers they always have one in the chamber and for them to give up on this guy tells you a little bit more than what you need to know regardless of his talent and it seems that it's showing in a place where you should be able to get on the field easily because they're so starved for offense that he was a healthy scratch now on the other side of things this Denver defense Denver is last in defense I, I don't know if anybody really they went from being a top five defense to being they are dead last in all in all total defense they're giving up 461 yards a game they're giving up 285 yards and they're giving up 285 yards of passing and 176 yards per game 
on the ground, as well as 37 and a half points. A lot of that thanks to the 70 point outburst by Miami, but still I'm hitting the panic button on Denver because one and three is not what anybody expected from this team. This team had a Super Bowl thought process, a process in terms of what they were doing. They felt they got the quarterback. They felt they brought in the coach and they felt the defense was fine. And everything has seemed to have just simply fallen apart. I would hit the panic button on Denver and Matt Eberflus, you can't even sit down right now how hot that seat is. The the coaching decision that really, really stuck with me here was Chicago opting to go for it on fourth and one at the 18 rather than kick a field goal. A field goal in a tied game, they could have taken the lead. Instead, they go to running back Khalil Herbert. They failed to convert, and Denver drove down the field for a game-winning field goal. Now, for those that want to argue analytics, ESPN's analytics model had the field goal as the right decision in that situation. So we can just erase that narrative right now. Justin Fields, like you said, played his best game as a pro, granted, versus a terrible Denver defense, but this team cannot get out of its own way. Zencaster is the ultimate web-based podcasting solution. It provides high-quality audio and video podcast production and hosting. With a full suite of professional tools, podcasters can seamlessly record, produce, and publish studio-quality content all from one dashboard. Zencaster's post-production process takes the headache out of audio production. Set the right podcast loudness and levels while reducing background noise with a click of a button. Coordinating all your guests to record in person is painful and tedious. Easily invite up to 11 participants per recording with one click. Go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use my code PGFP and you'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. Hey there, PGF Nation. You know what's important when you're having a good time? Staying hydrated. And that's where Liquid IV comes in, the category-winning hydration brand that's fueling your well-being. With just one stick of Liquid IV, you get two times faster hydration than water alone, plus five essential vitamins to keep you feeling your best. And let's not forget about the convenience factor. The packaging is perfect for on the go, whether you're tailgating or just hanging out on the couch. But what really sets Liquid IV apart is the amazing flavors. Personally, I'm all about the Concord Grape and Lemon Lime. And with three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks, Liquid IV is made with premium ingredients to give you the hydration and nourishment you need. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code PGFP at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code PGFP at liquidiv.com. So next time you're cracking open a cold one and settling in for the big game, make sure you've got Liquid IV by your side. Trust me, your body will thank you. Now, I want to shift to the Washington Commanders here because they kept fighting back versus the Eagles in this NFC East battle. This was a really competitive game. They tied the game at 31 after Jahan Dotson caught a 10-yard touchdown with no time remaining in regulation. But instead of going for the win with a two-point conversion, which, once again, the analytics would have told Ron Rivera, go for that two He instead opted for the PAT to send the game to overtime. Washington then went three and out in overtime, and Philadelphia kicked a game-winning field goal on their first drive in overtime. What do you make of that decision by Ron Rivera? Because it felt like they had a great opportunity to knock off a really good Eagles team. Initially, my thought process was you play for the tie, you go and you try to win it. Upon review that, not realizing they were in Philly, in that situation, you go for two. You have Eric Bieniemy, who's been drawing up a heck of some some great plays, scheming some guys open. You say, "Give me your best play," because I'm sure any other and Andy Reid or Kyle Shanahan in that situation, I'm just using those two as our premier Sean McVay as our premier offensive coordinators in this league, and say, "Hey, give me the best play you have, and let's pull it out right here. We need two. 
what's the play that you have and let's run it and get the team up and have everybody confident and go out and get this win. And they neglected to do that in enemy territory against the Philadelphia Eagles, who we know who they are, we know who they can be, and to give them the ball back home, I think they should have gone, I'm changing my tune, they should have gone for two in that situation. They played, they've been consistently playing the Eagles tough. They shut down their running game. They have a great front four in terms of that, but they've been able to do some things. So continue doing what you do and go for the win. They should have gone for the win and they didn't. So here we are. They're sitting at two and two. The Eagles are sitting at four and oh. Yeah, I agree, Alex. They should have went for the knockout punch. And I also agree with what you said about Eric Bieniemy because he has done a really good job, especially in the red zone, drawing up some really good plays. So you're right. I think that was a great opportunity that they missed. And I think Ron Rivera is going to have to turn in that riverboat nickname because that was not a riverboat decision at all that was really playing it safe and it backfired in his face now i want to jump to the monday night football game this was ugly this was hard to watch i mean let's face it this was a really terrible game for the new york giants they were in a must win game at home they needed this one bad now granted saquon barkley was out andrew thomas was out quite frankly with those guys out this giants team looks like the team from two years ago before brian dayball showed up i mean it was ugly daniel jones was terrible with multiple turnovers in this game. Now, to be fair to Daniel Jones, the offensive line was awful. They allowed 10 sacks in this game, zero protection. Jones actually escaped at least three other times in this game. It could have been worse. Now, the Giants defense played, I thought they played okay considering the circumstances and what the offense kept putting them on the field during the entire game, putting them in bad situations. The roster still has a lot of holes. I think last year, when we look at this Giants team from last year, they had good coaching, an easy schedule, and a healthy Saquon Barkley, and it got them to nine wins and a playoff win. But I think it also provided maybe a false sense of security on just how far along this Giants rebuild actually was. This team was a mess under Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge. And unfortunately, the start of the season is starting to show us that they still have more rebuilding to do than maybe some of us realize going into the year. Outside of offensive line, they did make some moves. Obviously, injuries happen, but getting the center and you know having Evan Neal and Andrew Thomas go in, coming back together, you would think they would have been better, but obviously they were hurt. They did not bring in enough weapons on this team, whether Saquon Barkley is there or not. And we saw, it's been on replay everywhere, the little fling of the tablet in terms of what Dayball, when he was talking to Daniel Jones, I saw the same thing that he saw. Darren Waller was wide open in the back of the end zone. Now, there was no, this was one of the times there wasn't a lot of pressure. He could have taken the time, stepped into the pocket, delivered a strike, and had a touchdown. Not saying they, that would have won the game, but there's a lot of things that he didn't see. On the defensive side, I know they may have played a little bit better, but on that Noah Fant that I thought was a touchdown, but he, he got down to the one-yard line, that was poor tackling. You could have either, he was on the sideline, so one, whether you tackle him, you could have at least even pushed him out. That wasn't done. So I'm not sure that's there. Obviously, you spoke about the offensive line. Daniel Jones was sacked 10 times for a loss of 60 yards. I mean, I don't care if you're Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Joe Montana. You're not surviving that. Um, well, I'll, I'll take that back. Unless you're Joe Burrow, obviously, perhaps you could survive that. But 99% of other quarterbacks, you're not su- surviving. To your point, there was a lot going on there. So maybe he got a little bit of happy feet. But again, Daniel Jones is not a guy. He was never going to be a guy to me in terms of another quarterback, from my estimation, that was overdrafted. I'm not sure where you go here. If you're the Giants, you're going to have to make some decisions. Do you need to go? I can't even say, do you need to go with a more mobile quarterback in Tyrod Taylor? Because Daniel Jones is mobile. He led the league in, excuse me, he led the team in rushing. So I'm not sure what you do there. However, on the flip side, I liked what I saw from Geno methodically moving the ball, stayed in. He did get hurt, so he was only 13 for 20 with 110 yards in the TD, but he did get hurt. Drew Locke actually came in and looked decent. I believe that was his pass to Noah Fant that went for about 50-something yards. I think that was him. I expect to see more from Jackson, Smith, and Jigba. Kenneth Walker looked strong and looked good. I thought one of those, I, I didn't think he hit the ground. I thought that should have been a touchdown, but it wasn't. But hey, good win for Seattle. They're 3-1. and one. Giants, they're going to have to figure out some things, but they're one and three. They're going to have to make some decisions as well because it's not looking good for them because they're trending down while Seattle's starting to trend up. 
Yeah, actually, that play, I'm glad you brought up that play for no, with Noah Fant because I was watching the Manning cast. I really enjoy watching Peyton and Eli during these games because they will break down things on a really high level. Peyton did a really great job of breaking down what happened and talked about how the defense was playing cover eight, and I believe it was a safety. He pointed out that there was a safety that was supposed to be covering the flat and he actually dropped and covered up the slot receiver. It left uh, Noah Fant streaking open on the flat there. So it was completely blown coverage. And by the time he got ahead of steam, you're right. The tackling was poor, and he ends up making what should have been a four- or five-yard completion into a 50-yard touchdown. So bad bad assignment defense on that play. But the, as far as the big picture here, I think – the Giants are in a situation where if it really comes off the rails here, and it looks like it might because we're really starting to see just how different this team looks when the offensive line doesn't have their premier left tackle and when they don't have a running game with Saquon Barkley because that's really the big difference from last year to this year. Last year, Saquon was healthy. The offensive line was healthy for the most part, and and they were able to protect Daniel Jones and run the ball and have balance. And when those things were working, we saw Daniel Jones look like a serviceable starter in this league. Monday night, everything broke down around him. His clock got sped up, and he was making bad decisions because he just felt the pressure. Even when it wasn't there, he felt pressure because he'd be getting hit repeatedly all night. Still some bad decisions for sure in a bad game, but I can't put too much on him because his team really let him down in this one. I think it's going to be really interesting to see where they end up in the draft at this point because with this deep quarterback class, there's going to be a real decision to be made on whether or not they take a quarterback or if they trade that pick for somebody who's hungry for a quarterback and maybe try to build around Daniel Jones some more. It's it's an interesting situation they're going to be in. I know they just paid him, but they do have some outs in that contract. So just a very interesting transitional period for them these next couple of weeks to kind of see what direction they go. But they've got a tough schedule coming up, so it's not going to get any easier for them. Shout out to the Jets. They tried it. They, they, they played tough. They turned Patrick Mahomes over twice. They had a chance to win. I mean, unfortunately, Zach Wilson turned the ball over on that fumble, and Patrick Mahomes just went down and does, did what, what Patrick Mahomes does in terms of getting into them into scoring position. But that Jets team is fighting hard, so I definitely want to give a tip of the hat to them. Also, hey, you know what? When we talked about the AFC South, excuse me, the NFC South, we were really down on the Buccaneers and specifically Baker Mayfield. And he's telling us that we're wrong and we need to shut up because, hey, the Buccaneers are 3-1 and and leading that division, and Baker is looking pretty good out there. So tip of the hat to him. The last thing I want to say, Jaguars and Falcons. The Jaguars' main struggle is because they don't have anybody on the offensive line. That's been their main issue. They lost Jawan Taylor, even though Jawan Taylor's looking crazy in Kansas City right now. But Cam Robinson is also still out. I believe they get him back starting next week. But that offensive line is just strictly barren, which is, I believe, why they're doing a lot of struggling. But I really want to talk about Desmond Ritter. Arthur Smith is time to make a change. Desmond Ritter's not a guy. I don't understand how you have Drake London and Kyle Pitts. And I believe, I feel like I'm, this is deja vu because I feel like I said this last week again. I don't understand how you have these two guys and you simply cannot get them the ball. And it's for a lack of, of trying. I mean, Bijan Robinson has more targets than Kyle and Drake London. Well, he has the same amount as Drake London, but he's got more than Kyle Pitts. That doesn't make sense. That means this is Captain Checkdown. This is Captain Checkdown. You need to get somebody in there. Tell Heineke's there. We saw what he was able to do in Washington. You have a chance. This division is still wide open. You're still only a game behind where the Buccaneers are. But this division is wide open. Give these guys a chance. Put Taylor Heineke in. I'm sorry, Desmond Ritter. I never thought he was a guy, and he's showing me that he's not a guy. And Arthur Smith needs to make a decision on what he sees for the future of his quarterback position. Yeah, if Desmond Ritter wasn't so terrible in this game, the Falcons, with even a mediocre quarterback, probably win this game because the Jaguars weren't very good. Trevor Lawrence wasn't very good, and quite frankly, he hasn't looked that great all season. He's almost looked like he's taken a step back here. He doesn't look like the quarterback I thought he would at this point in his career, and this team does not look like the team I thought they would. 
And you're right about Atlanta for sure. He's not the guy. He was a third-round pick. You tried it. It didn't work. It's time to shift gears. They're going to be drafting a quarterback in April. I don't think there's any doubt about that. On a quick side note here, out of curiosity, I flipped on the Toy Story broadcast where it was animated and it looked like Pixar movie with the players and stuff. I know this was targeted for for kids and it's it's a really neat idea and I and I get the whole promotion behind it you know maybe something to kind of pull in kids to be watching football but I put it on for about five minutes and it, it had technical difficulties probably three times in five minutes and I'm like okay you got to take this back to the lab you got to get this squared away because that was a mess I, I don't know how anybody could watch that and really enjoy the game even in that version when it was constantly being delayed from technical difficulties so, yeah, they got to get that cleaned up. If they're going to do that again, that needs to be better because that was that was awful. Yeah, and I think when you're doing live animation and you're trying to write a code or whatever it is from a technological standpoint to get that to work properly, you're going to have some issues. And I think that's what is it. I guarantee you by the end of the season, they'll have righted the ship. They'll find some technology or some coding or whatever needs to be done. That'll be working and it'll look like how they expect it to look going forward. Alex, why don't we wrap up NFL Week 4 with the game ball? Why don't you give out your game ball, Alex? Who do you got for this week's game ball Week 4? Actually, it's I'll say this. It's not a who. It's a they. And the they is Ohio State. Finally, it looks like you perhaps may have something going in this league. And looking like some successful quarterbacks, or rather at least one true successful quarterback in this league, and what we saw from Justin Fields, 20 for 35, 80%, 335 yards and four TDs, and C.J. Stroud, 16 for 30, 306 and two touchdowns. And we know that C.J. Stroud has simply been on the tear since he's, since he's uh, started. So kudos to those two gentlemen and to Ohio State because I've been picking on you guys, but you guys finally had a great day for not one but two of your quarterbacks in being successful, and let's see where they go from here. I like it, Alex. I've got a quarterback as well, and for me, this one was kind of obvious. It's Buffalo Bills quarterback Josh Allen, 21 for 25, 320 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions, four carries for 17 yards, and a rushing touchdown. There's no way around it. He was lights out in a big-time division game versus Miami. They had no answer for this guy at all. I mean, when he plays like this and he takes care of the football and he's not putting himself in harm's way, this is an unstoppable quarterback when he's playing at this level. They look like a team that could really make some noise all of a sudden in the AFC. Alex, we are just about at the quarter mark of the NFL season. I thought it'd be fun to make an MVP pick for the first quarter of the season so far. Who's your MVP so far this season? I think it's undoubtedly Christian McCaffrey. I mean, no, we know that this has primarily been a quarterback award. I mean, no outside of quarterback has won it since Adrian Peterson. I believe that was 06, if I'm not mistaken. But Christian McCaffrey is simply looking like a one stop scoring machine out there this guy scored in every single game going not just this season but going back to week 13 of last year he scored in every single game so i believe he's undoubtedly the front runner for the mvp because there is right now no standout quarterback that's not to say somebody can't take off but as of right now it's christian mccaffrey alex i couldn't agree more he's got to be the pick you know there's guys that i can maybe put in the conversation but really what he's doing these first four, four weeks has been unbelievable He has a league-leading 600 yards from scrimmage and seven touchdowns, tied for the most in the NFL. McCaffrey is now just the third player in NFL history with at least 600 scrimmage yards and seven touchdowns in his first four games. The only other players to ever pull that off were Jim Brown and Emmitt Smith. Pretty impressive stuff from what we've seen from this guy. Last Sunday, he also set a 49ers franchise record for the most consecutive games with at least one touchdown. And right now he's on pace for 2,550 yards from scrimmage and 30 total touchdowns. You put up those kind of numbers and he might just be the next running back to win the award. Week five in college football had some great games. Oregon state beat Utah in a top 25 matchup. Kentucky Moves to 5-0 and with a win over Florida, a team that, Alex, I, I can't figure out your Gators week to week. I, I don't know what to make of this team, 
Auburn almost beat Georgia. That game really came down to the wire. Arizona almost beat Washington. Colorado almost pulled off a huge comeback win over USC. Ole Miss beat LSU in a shootout. Oklahoma quietly moves to 5-0. and Nobody seems to be talking about them. Alabama smashes Mississippi State. They're playing better football recently. Alex, what did you take away from week five in college football? Well, the first thing I took away is that it's getting close, and I said UGA is going to get picked off. They're going to get picked off soon. And the other part is that USC defense isn't what they what people think it is. So I'm not sure what they're going to do. They, they did get dropped down one spot, and I think rightfully so, because after doing what they were doing to Colorado, there's no way that Colorado should have come back in that game, but they did. So I'm wary of what USC is in their title national championship hopes to see what they can do. The only thing I can say about the Gators, we gave you Gatorade. I mean, I don't know what more you want from, you want more you run from us. But until, <laughs> until we get the quarterback situation straightened out, we're not going to be anything. Our quarterback uh, from the transfer from Wisconsin was never really a guy. He's just here because of we had to scramble after the Jaden Rashada debacle in terms of him being our quarterback. So we ended up with a transfer from out of Wisconsin whose name I don't remember and I'm probably not going to remember because I'm very irritated with him right now. But until we get that position strained out, we can have all the athletes we want to, but that quarterback position has to be either an athlete or a guy that can get the ball down the field. So we're just going to be stuck in neutral until we get that fixed. We had a bunch of almost upsets and it didn't really shake up things too much because a lot of these teams were managed to escape with wins. But it got me thinking here. There's nine teams that are undefeated that are left in the top 25 right now. I'm going to go through each of them and give you my pros and cons on each one of these teams. Alex, you absolutely hit it perfectly on the first one at number nine, USC. Now, look, the pros, I think we know it's the offense. Caleb Williams in this offense, they're as good as advertised. I mean, they are unbelievable. He's unbelievable. I've talked a bunch about this guy. Quite frankly, I cannot wait to see him at the next level. On a side note here, there's more and more rumblings that he might actually come back to school. I know we've briefly talked about that as well, Alex. That's a fascinating storyline that we're going to follow throughout the year for sure. But as of right now, we know he's a lock for the number one pick. He's a generational talent. But the defense, man, I thought a couple weeks ago they were improving. It looked like they were going to be getting it going there on the defensive side, but they're moving in the wrong direction. And quite frankly, they cannot win a title with this defense, no matter how good Caleb and that offense is. And number eight, Oregon. Now, Bo Nix and their offense, they can really move the ball, and they've got a balanced attack. The front four on defense can really get pressure after the quarterback, but the rush defense, that's the con for this team. It's still a real issue, and I think versus a strong running game, they could be in trouble. At number seven, Washington. Their offense, outside of maybe USC, is probably the best in college football. It's electric, especially through the air. But their run game and their defense versus the run, I think, are their cons. I think those are both real concerns for this team. Similar to USC, they have to win in a shootout, it feels like, every week. At number six, Penn State. I said it, I think it was last week, Alex, maybe the week before, I said Penn State might actually be the best team in the Big Ten this year. They're quietly putting it together. Their defense is for real. Now, their offense... Their offense isn't that explosive, and I think versus a high-power offense, their defense might have to bail them out somewhat. At number five, Florida State. Now, at times, they look like the best team in college football. We've seen moments when they've been really impressive, but their con is that they've lacked consistency. We just don't see it play in and play out, quarter in, quarter out, and game in and game out. The D-line can wreak havoc on opponents they can really wreck games and their offense has explosive playmakers quarterback wide receiver they're still a legit contender but I'd like to see them week to week putting together at number four Ohio State the best wide receiver group in college football they are as talented as any roster in the country but for me I question Kyle McCord at quarterback this guy is a big drop-off 
from what they've had in recent years at that position. Number three, Texas. Texas might be the real deal this year. I'm starting to really wonder if they can make a legitimate run here. Now, they're built in the trenches. Offensive and defensive lines are good. Their quarterback and wide receivers are explosive. I think the con for Texas would be that their defense doesn't create a lot of turnovers. They don't make a lot of big splash plays on defense. That might be maybe the one chink in the armor for Texas. Number two, Michigan. Very, very consistent team. They have to continue to get past teams like Ohio State and Penn State. That's really going to be the landmines on their schedule. But so far, they've been able to beat those teams the last couple of years. Their schedule has been pretty light. So we're going to have to see how they look versus better teams. We're going to find out soon enough. Number one, Georgia. Now, this is a team that could win it all again because they have a favorable schedule and the coaching and championship pedigree. We know it; it's all there for Georgia. But the con for them is this team just doesn't look like the team we've seen the last two years. They let teams that really have no business hanging around stay in games with them way too often. And the offense isn't as good without Stetson Bennett and Todd Munkin calling the plays. We have totally seen a drop-off there for the Georgia Bulldogs. I'm with you, Alex. I think this team is vulnerable, and I think they could get knocked off. My college football Week 5 helmet sticker is going to go to Georgia tight end Brock Bowers. Now, this guy had a monster game, eight catches, 157 yards, and a touchdown in that win over Auburn. He made multiple big catches late in the game to help UGA avoid the upset versus Auburn because this game was close late, and he was really the difference maker down the stretch. He had two incredible one-handed grabs, one that got negated because of a penalty But man, this guy is so talented. He is easily the best tight end in the country. He was the best player on the field on Saturday. He's going to be fun to watch the rest of the year. And he'll be an interesting player to dive into his tape come April. All right, Alex. Last week, you had Patriots plus seven versus Dallas. You threw in a prop for Dak Prescott, two interceptions. Unfortunately, neither one of those hit. And quite frankly, I was surprised by that outcome. I thought that game was going to be a lot closer than it was. We talked about that game. Dallas really took it to the Patriots. I had the Titans plus two and a half. Let's see if we can get it going this week here, Alex. Who's going to be your betting lock of the week this week? So for my lock of the week, five, we're going into week five. So this is when teams get desperate. And there's a lot of on four teams that are looking for wins, but there's a lot of one and three teams that are looking for a win as well. And one of those teams, actually two of those teams, will be playing in Denver on Sunday. And Denver is giving two points to over in this 43 and a half. I'm going to take the points and the Jets to beat the Broncos. I think that Jets defense is going to shut down the Broncos. I think they're going to force Russ into some situations that he doesn't want to be in because when he's on script, he's fine. When he's off script, he's not fine. And the Jets are a team that you do not want to be off script on. You do not want to get behind and get behind early. I think they're hungry. They want to win. And I think with the give later two points, the Jets are going to win. I love that pick, Alex. I really do because you're right. I think this defense is going to give the Broncos all kinds of problems. And I like what I saw from Zach Wilson last week. Now, we we know who Zach Wilson is. He's not great, but he looked better last week. Now he's going up against this terrible Broncos defense. I think this is a great spot, Alex. I'm with you. For my lock of the week, I'm going with an under-the-radar pick here in college football. I'm going to take Louisiana Tech plus 6.5 versus Western Kentucky. Now, this game is tonight, Thursday, October 5th. So, Get your bets in for this one right away, guys. Western Kentucky is struggling to throw the ball right now, and Louisiana Tech has two corners that can really cover. This secondary is the strength of this team here. So this is a matchup that I'm watching here. Now, Western Kentucky's defense is absolutely terrible as well. Louisiana Tech should be able to run the ball versus this team, and I'm quite frankly surprised by this number. I think Louisiana Tech could not only cover, but maybe even win this game outright. So if you're feeling confident, put a little on the money line as well here. But I love the value with Louisiana Tech getting six and a half. 
that is going to do it for today's episode, guys. Hope you enjoyed it, PGF Nation. I'm Brad Fowler. He's Alex Higdon. This is Pint Glass Football, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGF Podcast.